0: Hello everyone, this is Andrea Powell with Corona Rising and this is episode five of Surviving Now. We are bringing you stories about current events that impact all of us from the perspective of survivors of sexual exploitation and trafficking who have lived experiences related to the issues. As we shared in the past, uh, we have noticed at Corona Rising that there is a large variety of stories and content out there about the issues of human trafficking or homelessness or exploitation, domestic violence. There is very little that places those with lived experiences as the experts on that content so we wanted to flip that script a bit here with Surviving Now and provide content that will help us all understand how we can participate and take part in solving these global issues. Um, During this time of this recording we are in the middle of a global pandemic and something that I have noticed and I know many of our team members at Corona Writing have noticed is that there is a large increase in the presence of homeless individuals who are walking throughout the nation's capital and around the country um, and doing a little bit of research for this episode, I learned that there is an estimated 4.2 million homeless youth So we're just talking children and youth, not other adults, uh, estimated throughout the United States with an average of about 41,000 unaccompanied youth each night uh, between the ages of 13 and 25, Uh, and that's 41,000. That's actually more individuals than who grew up in my hometown. uh, Just to put that into context, one in 10 school children in New York are homeless. Um, and while these, these statistics are staggering, it's even more concerning when we think about the fact that all of the data, all of the, all of the uh, suggestions and the news from medical experts says, stay home during a global pandemic, stay isolated, stay off the streets, go out as little as possible. But if you're experiencing homelessness, Basically that's impossible. So you're stuck between, you know, if you're a young person staying in a home where it's unsafe, you're stuck between staying in an unsafe safe environment at home or going out on the streets, or you might be having to make life choices that you never thought you would have to make during a pandemic in order to survive. And so we wanted to bring uh, today a special conversation between a survivor and advocate who has experienced homelessness at different parts of her life and how that impacted other things that she's gone through and experiences and what shaped her as, as a leader today. And we also have a, a woman who is one of my personal heroes who has started a program called the Children's Play, Homeless Children's Playtime Project, uh, which does exactly what the name suggests, is they provide a place of play for homeless youth and I'm going to let her go into it but it's actually just brilliant for all of you people watching right now who are parents uh, who have small children at home who are sitting on your face while you're trying to work um, you can imagine that it's nice to get a break but add to the fact that if you are a homeless parent and you have jobs that you need to find and counseling you need to go to and case managers and therapy and trying to figure out how your kids are going to get enrolled in school and you have a kid who's sitting on your face might get a little stressed out. And so Jamila's organization provides uh, a respite for parents and a healthy outlet for children who need that social connection. Uh, So I'm going to let her speak to how the pandemic has impacted um, her population, her community, and those people she cares about. Uh, Jamila, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Just go ahead and introduce yourself and share a little bit about your work. And then we will introduce Ashley after that.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Andrea. Good morning. It's an honor to be here with Ashley. Thank you. I'm super excited for the conversation. So yeah, I'm a social worker in D.C. I was really stunned to see how little regard children have in family homeless shelters as the demographics of homelessness has really shifted locally and across the country, that now half of DC's homeless population is comprised of parents and children. But you never know that because families are considered the hidden homeless. Many are sleeping doubled and tripled up with family members and friends. Um, And you don't necessarily see them on park benches. So out of sight, out of mind. And it's really shocking to me to see how little program services and supports exist in the family shelter system. It's, it's truly as if children are invisible many times even when they're in shelter. So the Playtime Project has worked to change that and partner with shelters who might not always have the resources to provide children's services even if they may want to. So for the past 17 years, we've partnered with 10 um, family homeless shelter settings and recruited and trained volunteers to provide um, impactful intentional play opportunities um, that help support children's natural resilience and given parents a break like you said Um, so it's been a real honor to do this work and to learn more about the systemic injustices that continue to grow the homeless population um, and now, of course, like you say, we have a whole nother challenge that's hitting our families the hardest.
0: Thank you so much. And again, just so appreciate the resilience and the, the work that you do. Ashley, uh, I'd love for you to introduce yourself a little bit for for the audience, too.
2: Okay. Hi, Monica. Can you guys hear me?
0: Yes, we can. Yeah. Okay, hi, my name is
2: Ashley. I'm, I'm a survivor of human trafficking also. I'm um a lab advocate for Karen Horizon. Um I've been personally known Andrea for nine years. Um I've been with Karen Horizon since they first started. Um I can touch a lot with this subject as well as um being a survivor and including with this pandemic and including being a mom. Well
0: thank you, Ashley. Um, you know, you've done some amazing work, uh, sharing your testimony with, uh, Senator Gillibrand and helping us pass legislation to keep other kids from falling into the situations that you've (laughs) fallen into and, and what actually, and, and I hope it's okay for me to share this. Oftentimes when you were advocating on Capitol Hill or before city council or speaking to the media, you were actually experiencing homelessness and housing instability. at the I'm very moment that you were, that you were doing that work. And that always struck me just how, how powerful you were in, in your testimony and in your outreach while you were struggling. And I think that's, um, that really speaks to the core of, of what it means to I be can surviving. Now. One, can I yes. just say one? I kind of like, to touch basis on what Jamila
2: said, like, I, I also kind of feel like when people think of homelessness, they think of people outside, you know, or sleeping in parks and, 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 you know, things like that. I mean, you know, just like what she said, tripling and doubling at people's house, you know what I mean? You're still homeless, you're living with other people, you know what I mean? And if you got kids, you know, you have to drag your kids with you and you're just tiptoeing on everybody else's stuff, you know? So I just kind of feel like, I mean, homelessness, is, it, it, yes, you know, you could be outside, but I feel like homelessness is also doubling up, tripling up, you know, at people's houses and stuff like that as well.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And something that, that has always struck me uh, in some of the advocacy I've done, you know, not only with survivors of trafficking, but in some of my past life where I was uh, volunteering at a Homeless Woman's Day project in the Boston, Massachusetts area um, as a woman, when you self-identify as homeless, you know, say that you're outside on the street or you're asking for money or any way that you're signaling that you're experiencing homelessness, Mm -hmm. in many ways you're putting a label on yourself that you are vulnerable towards sexual predators and exploitation because people believe if you're homeless, you must be crazy. There must be something wrong with you. And so if you are assaulted, the ability for you to get help is very different in many contexts then than if you were not also experiencing homelessness and so for many women who i've known both survivors of trafficking but also those who have not experienced that they try very hard oftentimes to hide that they're homeless which mm-hmm. also will mean that they're not going to the shelters they're not going to the service providers they're not accessing some of the available resources that would help lift them out of exploitation or out of homelessness because going through that and it's self-identifying is putting an additional you know target on their back, if you will. Right. So we'll speak a little bit to that as well. Um, Jamila, uh, what have you been seeing with families and, and children you serve at the Homeless Children's Playtime Project since the start of the pandemic uh, and the shutdown here in the District of Columbia?
1: So currently in the four shelter programs where we are, two of which are domestic violence programs, um, and um, one of which is the city's largest hotel setting um, that serves children and families who are homeless. Many people don't realize that about 500 children are served in several overflow shelter hotels and we're especially concerned about those families because imagine raising your entire family in a single room without the outlet of a playground or uh, any kind of space for healthy recreation. There's not even a, a place to walk down uh, a tree-lined street because its they're not in a residential neighborhood. They're along busy New York Avenue. So we're very concerned about the growing impact of isolation the longer this goes on um, and how much interpersonal stress families are under. We were concerned about that before the pandemic and right. now we're extra, extra concerned about that because you know good things don't happen in isolation all the time Um, so we're really trying to bust through that by maintaining relationships over the phone as much as we possibly can sending play kits so kids can keep on playing in their rooms advocating for computer access so distance learning isn't disrupted providing emergency support and referrals And, you know, the good news is families are served three meals in the hotels. But imagine having to go into public three times a day to pick up your food. That's not safe either. And then in the DV shelters, um, the families have to trek out to get food. And they're facing the same empty shelves that the rest of us are facing on top of piling your kids onto the bus and, and making that that perilous journey. So we're seeing a lot of just struggles meeting families' basic needs. Um, And those families fortunate enough to find housing and moving. It's also no picnic, of course, moving during a pandemic. So there are extra challenges there as well. So we have a lot of concerns that, you know, everything's harder when you're homeless. And everything's harder when you're in a pandemic. Yeah. So, are you
0: seeing? Do you feel like there's an increasing number of families who are now experiencing homelessness as a result of the pandemic?
1: I believe we're going to see that wave hit um, in the in the coming months and years. Um, it's just staggering reading the national statistics of of how many folks are falling into unemployment and job loss. So I I think that this. The trends are really at odds with the city's determination to reduce homeless numbers. And they were gonna phase out of the hotels at the end of this year. And I don't think anyone thinks that's possible now. So we're definitely imagining that there's gonna be a a wave coming of increased family homelessness.
0: Yeah, I I can definitely imagine. I I have concerns about that as well. And and just thinking about, like you said, the long-term residual effects not only of the physical homelessness, but also thinking about what children and families are going to be living with after things begin to resume and, and we're expected to get you know out there in, in the world, if you will. Um, Ashley, you survived so much. and I honestly don't even know where to to begin uh, to say how much I admire you for this, but but what was your life like, you know, as a young person? The first time you experienced homelessness what what drew you into that state
2: like how did I get to be homeless
0: mm-hmm.
2: well you know as a as a as being younger um I was having a lot of family problems and I ran away and um you know it to be honest you know like if anything like i felt alone like i didn't feel like i had my family you know that's another reason why i did run you know um things were happening inside my home um that that you know normalized families shouldn't go through um you know i was scared i was i was going through a lot of things within my inner self um it was really scary you know it was I'm not gonna lie and I feel like you know people like you know certain people they look at things like oh well just like in the beginning and I always would touch bases on this even even when I first started before Karen Arise and before then and things I, I like you know certain people think that people choose to be homeless or people oh well she's out here so she chose to do this or she chose to be where she is you know Um, it's her fault why she's here or why she's out here in the streets it's her fault why um, she was in victim to human trafficking you know and and sometimes it's people's first instinct is to run and get away from that you know what I mean and 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 that's how it was for me I I felt like I had to run to get away from where I was I felt alone I was sad you know um anybody that that like you said you know you know willing to 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 give your hand you know I'm not gonna lie I, I, I took it just because you know like I'm out here I was out there I didn't know what else to do. I didn't. I couldn't call nobody. I was scared to call the police and ask the police for help because I'm like, no, they would take me right back home. Mm-hmm. And, and I or they like, crazy. oh, she's young, she's rebellious, she, she don't want to listen. That's why she's doing what she's doing. But like, no, there's a lot of inside things going on.
0: And I uh, yes, and I, I obviously know you well and know some of that too. Right. But I, I one thing, a couple of things I wanted to share as we continue is there, that that term "runaway" is always really bothered me because that implies blame on on the child when, you know, right. in my experience, right. I've never met a young person who said, you know, I ran away because I just thought it would be a barrel of laughs to be on the streets at night and figure out where to get food. Um, or, you know, couch surfing is just exactly what I want my life to look like. No, you know, so I, I you know, I often think it's not that someone ran away, it's that circumstances pushed them away. Right. Um, and, and I, I worked with a, a young man once who was a survivor of trafficking. And he said, I didn't run away. It's just that when I left home, nobody went looking for me. Oh, right. And that, you know, that, that I must have, he must've said that to me 12 years ago. And then I just, oh, I will never forget it. Um, he was doing headstands in the middle of Sasha Bruce in the living room and talking to me about this. And I was like, I can't believe that one of the most profound things I've ever heard was told to me by a 17 year old in the middle of a headstand. Uh, eating Doritos <laughs> but that's like it was like this crazy confluence of things but he said it so casually as if it was accepted and I think we in right. society we can't accept that as normal right that language and that narrative um, you know what are some of the challenges Jamil I know you touched on this a little bit but what are some of the challenges that you're seeing for kids who are living in hotels or shelters and and what they're expressing to you and to your
1: team mm-hmm. Well, um, like the two of you, I'm, I'm also a parent and every day I keep thinking about the kids and the families that we serve because um, as a, a, a housed individual with um, toys and games and all kinds of things to keep kids busy. I'm tearing my hair out every day and having a really hard time keeping my kids occupied. And one of the first things I notice is how pent up they get without um, having an opportunity to exercise, especially on a rainy day when they're stuck inside. And how on earth are we expecting hundreds and hundreds of children to grow up as healthy young people without being able to go outside and run around, there's literally no safe place for them to do that. Um, so, as as we're coming into the summer, I'm really curious to hear what the plan is to help keep, keep keep kids engaged over the summertime. Like, what if they never get a chance to go to the pool or go to a playground? or do something productive and positive? What if they continue to be stuck indoors all summer long? Um, So that's my biggest concern because kids can't, it's just not natural for them to be pent up in a single room indefinitely.
0: Yeah, and it it causes a lot of stress. And I know a lot of my uh, family and friends with small kids or younger kids have said their kids have actually been regressing behaviorally to younger ages because they're stressed out and they don't know necessarily how to express that. Um, And it's hard to create structure if you're also feeling unstable yourself, as someone would be if they're staying in one of those hotels. Um, You know, something that struck me, and this is actually not a statement against uh, the choices that that the district has made, it's it's more just a a fact of the matter, if you will. Um, But a lot of the hotels up and down New York Avenue, unfortunately, are real hot spots. Or sex trafficking. Yes, it's where traffickers recruit. It's where they conduct their exploitation. It's where buyers of sex know to go. Um, In years, Mm -hmm. in my years of doing street outreach in that area, it would take me not less than five minutes to find someone who needed help and get over there. So that's Mm -hmm. the area now where we have a lot of homeless kids spending time. And you know, as someone who works in the area of anti-trafficking, I my first reaction is like, uh, you know, no, you know, like, this is a horrible idea. But I understand, you know, this is the reality that we're in. Ashley, Ashley, um, you know, to that point, what role did homelessness play in, in leading you into a trafficking situation?
2: That's how I got involved, just like what you said. And and that's how I got involved in trafficking. I was homeless and I had nowhere to go. Um, a, um, a hand was reached out to me and, and was asked, you know are you interested in making money and you know I agreed and I you know I I was hungry I needed food I needed clothes you know I needed somewhere to stay I was born just different here and there you know and um that's exactly how I got into human trafficking I met my
0: first pimp and
2: everything which was a high profile case afterwards but yeah well
0: you know I don't like him um, so, and, and usually if I have an opportunity to, to trash talk him a little bit in the media, yeah. I turn that down. Um, but, uh, I won't say his name here, but I will say that he, he took advantage of a lot of young people, who a lot had a sense of family. He, he played a father role when he was nothing, nothing like a father should be. Um, you know, Jamila, Uh, kind of shifting gears, you know, talking about all these challenges that homeless families and children are facing, particularly, you know, I'm thinking a lot about those who are in hotels um, and getting out there and trying to get food. And I've been trying to connect uh, survivors I know To to food, not necessarily survivors who are homeless, but um, I have this grant program that I'm really appreciative of, but I'm required to get gift cards that are from grocery stores. I can't send cash up. I can't do a visa gift card. I have to do the store. Um, And so it's like some kind of Tetris for me to pull this off with these different cars. And I've actually gone to supermarkets in my neighborhood and then Ubered the food to other people. And the Uber driver right. looked at me all kinds of weird. I'm like, look, I'm your own. I'm like a personal Uber Eats. I just, it. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> sorry. And so, um, but it's it's so, you know, I'm thinking like, if, if it's just me with a handful of survivors I'm trying to do this for, how challenging it must be for you and your team. Um, but what are some ways your group is shifting right now?
1: Yeah. So uh, like you, we found food insecurity to be one of the biggest issues that families are telling us when we're talking to them on the phone. And it's not just families currently homeless, but those that have just moved to new neighborhoods. And they're like, I don't even know where the grocery store is. Like my covers are bare. I just moved here with my kids. I really need some help. The food stamp office is not calling me back. There's some kind of a problem. And we have noticed that with a lot of public benefits offices is things have kind of grinded down to a halt. There's a, a lot... Mm-hmm of um bureaucratic extra uh, standing in line that's happening right now for families to get their basic needs met. So we um, that emergency resource is so helpful. So we're able to sometimes email them a Target gift card that they can use right away to try to stack up on pots and pans and essentials that they need when they move, um, as well as, as reach those um, families that are food insecure as, as quickly as possible. So it's never something that we ever imagined we'd make that kind of a pivot. But um, we really, these times are calling for such creativity and innovation. And obviously we just need to meet uh, families where they are. And if that's what they need, that's what I think all of us need to go out of our way to provide. Um, to take away one, one more concern. Uh, but again, the longer this goes on, a $200 gift card isn't going to last indefinitely. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping that we as a community, um, beyond charity, as we imagine, compassion fatigue might set in. As this drags on longer and longer, there might not be as many folks willing to jump in and help. What can we do to change our systems to provide more support over the long term? Um, To help our families, not just survive, but thrive. So that's something I'm really interested in.
0: Me too, you know, and thinking about not to get political in any case, but I, I do believe that homelessness issues like homelessness and trafficking food insecurity. It's not political, it's human rights. We actually have a basic human right to access to education, access to shelter. Um, You know, I know, you know, declarations for United Nations might seem kind of like meaningless to a lot of people right now, but I think it's important to hold strong and say we have these rights. And, you know, we have situations like bailouts that are taking care of airlines and big businesses. And um, meanwhile, we're supposed to clap our hands because the government sent you know, small amount of money to individuals, um, you know, to, to survive. But let's be real: if you're experiencing homelessness, you don't have an address. You probably don't have a bank account. You're not going to actually get that stimulus check. Or if you were unable to file taxes for the last few years for a variety of reasons, you're not going to see that check. Or if you owe money and you have debt the bank has the ability to take that money. Um, we still have the Department of Education confiscating wages for those individuals who are defaulting on student loans while they're trying to survive. And so, you know, it's, it's, there's all these barriers. And, you know, over the years as I've worked with Ashley and others to try to help them get a leg up so that they can start to exit homelessness, it always seems like there's this one thing that, that like always stops the process. And I'm um, actually seeing me, you know, pitch a tiny fit oh, you, yeah. I, in various offices trying to like get stuff done, but uh, I, I won't do that now. There's no need, but Ashley, um, what, what, what were some of the barriers that you faced to, to get to where you are now and to be stably housed? Um, Okay, when you say barriers, can you like break that down a little bit for me? Like, what were some things that were holding you back? Was it, you know, where like? Well, I'll I'll get real, and then you can build from there. So, in one of the scenarios where you and I were working together, your your benefits were in Maryland, but they oh were, yeah they were being um <clears throat> difficult to, and were not helping you with housing, uh, and and you didn't fit their their framework. Uh, because you weren't because you weren't a current life. victim of domestic violence, you had to be a current victim uh, in order right. to get your housing. So then we went to D.C., but you I'm had to. I'm going to lie. Yeah, no, you I'm didn't lie, lie. And well, although we, we were wanting to get creative, we came to D.C. Um, we tried that at that angle, but for for you to get housing in D.C., you had to be actively homeless. We were told for thirty days in the district and give up your benefits in Maryland, which you weren't able. Right in you, in Maryland. Um, And so that kind of puts you between a rock and a hard place. So that's what I mean by barrier. I'm still obviously upset about that. Well, with Marilyn, um, Maryland, um,
2: I went to their social services, um, and, and they had expressed to me that you have to be in a domestic violence relationship. I had two kids at the time. Um, I had previously experienced domestic violence, but doing during that time, I haven't, you know, um, but I was letting them know, like, Hey, look, I have two kids. I'm homeless. Like, you know, my stuff is in my guard. I'm going from here and there, you know? And, um, they were like, well, the only way we can help you immediately is if you've been in a domestic violence, um, and experiencing current domestic violence and at that time I wasn't so I reached out to Andrea then we was like okay well let's try DC you know it was kind of so unfortunate because I feel like the lady that worked with us wanted to really help me you know because she was like we see people that come in here all the time that you know or like you can tell that they're just you know talking BS like they're not you know, serious, and like, I got emotional because, you know, like, I've been through so much in my life, and it's just like, like you said, it's just, I feel like sometimes it's just like, you know, when you take 10 steps forward, I feel like I get knocked back 12, you know, and it's just like, it's so unfortunate because I'm like, well dang, like I'm I'm you know, I'm a changed person. I've done different things and, you know, I, I sometimes question, you know, my high power, but you know, you can't do that because I I I will never ever regret nothing, nothing that I've ever been through. Because honestly speaking, I really feel like I wouldn't be as strong minded and willing and to do the things that I do to in today's life, you know? And I just want to touch base on Jamila that you said, um, you said not only to survive, but to thrive. Like, I don't know, but that just really hit me. Like, I was a good little, Aww. not to survive, but to thrive. Like that hit me. I wanted to say something, but I didn't want to cut nobody off.
0: <laughs> no, actually that's, I think that's, so that's exactly.
2: I, it. It. I remember a lot of things, you know? Like, so that kind of like really meant a lot to me,
0: but. Right. You know, there's, um, there was, I don't know who originally said this, so I can't attribute this quote to anyone, but it's not mine. But just because you're experiencing struggle like homelessness or poverty, doesn't mean that you just have to take what's given to you. You should have right. choices because choices right. empower you um, right. to think about your life. Jamila, um, you know, what are some some of the the things that you're hearing particularly from you know single parents with kids who are experiencing homelessness what are some of the things that they are expressing they need in order to like you said not just survive but actually thrive again
1: yeah well of course with school out um the parents that do have jobs have been in a rock and a hard place for sure to figure out how to keep those jobs and find a safe place for their kids. So Mm -hmm. all of the parents that we know who have maintained their employment have had to send their kids to stay with relatives and that can be a good thing. It might not be a good thing because in many cases if those relatives were safe spaces to fully support the family, the family might be living there instead of the shelter. Mm -hmm. So we're also concerned about those kids not being in the best situations. Um, but again, parents are forced to make super tough choices um, to do what's best for their families. Um, and back to the the overcrowdedness, we've known many families who might have a teenager in the house, and a newborn or a toddler, and everyone in between, um, and maybe stepdads living there who who's not treating the teenager very well. Um, So we've definitely known families who have had arguments in the wee hours of the night of the teenager feeling like they needed to leave, that it just wasn't a safe space for them, especially with the stepdad in the same room as as everybody else. Um, And um, that was a similar scenario to um, what happened to uh, a young woman several years ago at DC General who then ended up in a Los Angeles hotel room, a victim of sex trafficking, when she didn't feel safe being in that room with her stepdad and felt pushed out of that situation. So Andrea and I had the opportunity to work together to help help her find I know that. Um, go
2: oh. ahead, Ashley. Oh no, I'm just saying I know that that was right. I was just <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Well yeah. I Well, I think that's really, it's, it's, you know, Jamila, you're touching upon something that I, I really want listeners to, to grasp is that when we think about the issue of human trafficking, people often think of kids being kidnapped off the streets or, you know, someone just being forced into a situation. And, and, you know, that, that does occasionally happen, but mostly what we see is it's like human trafficking is the bad icing on a really bad cake. And that cake is made through homelessness, domestic violence, food insecurity, depression, vulnerability. loss, vulnerability. Just, you know, human trafficking at its core is about someone willing to exploit someone else's vulnerabilities for profit. And homelessness, uh, we did a study years ago, I was uh, lucky to be a part of, and that study effectively had me living on the staircase of another homeless uh, youth program called Sasha Bruce. Um, I was that lady on the stairs for like months. And uh, and I, I observed a lot and have unbelievable respect for Sasha Bruce, but I, um, about 80% of the kids we interviewed, we interviewed about 150 homeless kids, 80% ex- um, had experienced homelessness before they were in a situation of, of trafficking and homelessness was the number one fear that was leading them to contemplate going back into the sex trade to to survive um right. and that's not you know that's that's not that shouldn't be the only option that should or not normal to them right it shouldn't I can be normal. to that
2: you know, like, as far as, like, they, sometimes they may feel like that's something that they have to do, and it shouldn't be like that, and I, I personally speaking from my own experience, I was like that, like, I'm I'm homeless, I ain't got nowhere to go, so, look, I, I have to do this, and, and, you know, I have, I had, I had my first daughter at the time, and then I'm just, like, I gotta do what I gotta do for me and my child, I stayed in a hotel for three months, like, in the beginning, like, you know, with me and my child, and I did it all by myself, and, you know, but I had nowhere to go. Nobody would help me. There wasn't enough resources for me, or there they make it seem like it has to be um what's the word I'm looking for um it has to be like like um cert- certain things you know like like for you to be qualified or eligible to mm-hmm. enter that program or you know what I mean I feel like it's i mean yes, don't get me wrong. I feel like domestic violence is is, is, is you know number one, but I feel like what about those who aren't just you know, experience domestic violence but, you know, that that um are still homeless with their children and, and you know, they're they are victimized to exploitation and things like that. I just kinda of feel like it should like certain places, I just kind of feel like they're just I mean, it's just certain criteria, like from for personally speaking, just because I, I I haven't dealt with domestic violence recently, I can't get into a program and I'm homeless with my children.
0: Right. Right. Um Jamila I you know, I really, I want to like build upon what Ashley was saying, and I know we're getting close to the the end, but yeah. if you were going to, I see you, Ashley, um, <laughs> if, if Jamila, if you were speaking to, you know, 13, 14 year old Ashley, you oh, know, way, which really wasn't all that long ago, um, what would be something that you would say to a young person, you know, sitting there in those circumstances and what resources, what would you say, uh, you know, you or other programs could do to support them? um, And what would be that encouragement that you would send
1: out? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, I would say you are a child and, and A, you should not be going through this and none of this is your fault. Right. Wow. Look at your resilience. Look at the choices that you have before you. And I believe that in the moment we always do the very best thing that we think we should do. Um, We always make what we believe is the best of several uh, less than ideal options. So I feel like it's really important, um, especially for for young people who have gone through so much to look back at your past self and just think, wow, forgive your past self. Mm -hmm. If Sometimes kids have shame about maybe the situations that they found themselves in. Oh my gosh, you were a child. You Mm -hmm. did the very best you could with what you had. And Mm -hmm. just look at your perseverance and strength and resilience and just be amazed and and thankful that you are a survivor. Mm -hmm. And like you said, take all of those amazing skills and and strength and, um, and help that sort of take you to the, to the next level as, as you continue to, to grow and, and reach your full potential as, as a human. So I think I would just be in awe of, of everything that, that you've been able to do with what you've been given. And, um, and, and again, just say to all the young people out there, this, this is so unfair. You deserve <laughs> so much better. You deserve I, I so much that's better that's from, that's and forget that.
0: Yeah, it's important yeah. that we do young people, anyone who's experiencing housing instability or homelessness, um, however that looks to them, deserve so much better. And homelessness, just like food insecurity, to me, they're they're real problems with that bring together real people and real families and children, but they're not problems that can't be solved.
1: Mm-hmm. Um
0: you know, my my little girl actually we, we live in, in DC and we're walking around and this was a, she was about three when she figured this out. She she was looking at some empty apartments and looking at the people who are on the streets and she was like, Well, why can't they just get the keys to those empty places if nobody's in them right now? And so I tried to explain rent to a three-year-old and uh, that didn't really go over so well but then later on she was like well if people are hungry and don't have food they should go to whole foods because there's lots of good food in there and I said well I don't to my knowledge that doesn't work that way but she I love the purity because she was right Right. so how do we get back as a society to the heart of this three-year-old and I know many other kids feel the same way uh, my daughter got so invested in helping homeless people that I, I call what she was doing actually accosting them because she was forcing them to eat her snacks uh, out, right out of her little school backpack. And so I had to several times apologize to homeless individuals say, I'm really sorry. You don't have to eat that rotten banana if they just came out of her backpack. Really sorry. I will drag her away. Um, but, but we should all feel that motivated and that connected because just because someone is homeless doesn't mean they're not your neighbor. Right. They actually are. And I think
1: when we shift the responsibility for systemic causes that deserve systemic solutions, then we can help young people take that shame and responsibility off young people's shoulders a little bit because they deserve protection. And when young people feel neglected by their families and by society, it's a, a real toxic combination. And we might not be able to... Um, You know, make perfect families all of the time, but a safety net exists for a reason. And our safety net is so shattered. And I feel like the older young people get, the less we really see them as the children that they are who are worthy of protection and support. Um, so I really hope that maybe if there's a bright spot that can come out of this pandemic, it's really understanding how vulnerable all of us are and how we really need to strengthen that safety net to make sure right. that awesome. people vulnerable don't fall through. Absolutely. I just real
2: quick? Yes. I, I, I might feel also like like she said, talk to touch bases with the safety net. Um, I kind of feel like, um, you know, some, some youth or especially youth that has youth, that has kids, um, they might be scared, you know, um, coming from, you know, her, her, her side and what she does, you know, as far as, um, her organization and things like that, you know, they might think like, well, if I'm homeless, they're going to take, they're going to take my kids, you know, or, you know, things like that. I mean, you know, I kind of felt like that once upon a time. Like, you remember, Andrea, like, I was like, I'm scared because I don't want them to think, oh, because I don't know where to live. Like, I'm not taking care of my kids or
0: I'm trying to take care of my kids, you know? No, it's it's a lot. That's and, I, you know, I wanted to, as we draw to a close, say that, you know, if anyone – who's listening right now uh, wants to to help join us um, at Playtime Project and at Corona Rising, we all can play a role. If you have a car, you could drive groceries uh, to the individuals in need. Uh, If you can sew, you can help mend clothing for people who need help fixing some of their clothes so they can go to that job interview. If you can contribute financially, be it $5 or however much you can give, Uh, please consider contributing to Playtime Project or to Corona Rising. We will be putting uh, links uh, in in the episode notes so that you can learn where to do that and learn more about these issues. But everywhere we live in this country and around the world right now, there are people all around you who are experiencing homelessness or at risk of experiencing homelessness. This is a huge issue. And as Jamila said, we're going to see waves and waves of this growing.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, but rather
0: than turn away from these issues, let's radically accept we have an opportunity to actually help people. I'm not talking about everyone having to go out and save the world, but just helping one neighbor next to you could make a profound difference and a butterfly effect for years to come. Uh, so. Thank you both so much for joining. Thank you. I I always love having you on on the Chronerizing team. Jamila, uh, you and I've worked together in all kinds of interesting circumstances um, over holidays and middle of the nights, and it's been just a delight to have you on the show. Uh, Thank you to everyone listening. Um, We'll be putting resources in, in the show notes but this is Andrea Powell with uh, Corona Rising for Surviving Now, episode five. And we are closing with being young and homeless during a global pandemic. Uh, that sounds like a dark topic, but as you can see, there, there is light out there for those
1: who want to make a difference and those in need. Thank you both very much and have a beautiful day.